Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 192. I'm your host, Emily Aries, the founder and CEO of Bossed Up. And I'm so excited to share with you this great conversation on today's episode with Brittany Packnett Cunningham, who you'll meet in just a moment. She is just a force of nature. I am impressed with everything I've seen from Brittany thus far. Um, Not only the work she produces and how she creates in this world and how she shows up in this world, but her courage in doing so and her courage in tackling tough issues and not shying away from speaking her mind, especially on behalf of uh, social justice issues and, and being, you know, vocal. Actually, President Barack Obama calls her a leader whose voice is going to be making a difference for years to come. And I could not agree more. So stick around to hear from Brittany. Today's episode is really all about how to bridge the gap between wanting the confidence to do something and then actually doing it, actually going for it, which I think is just a really interesting thing to look at, especially this time of year, as we all are setting these audacious goals for ourselves you know, sometimes the first step of making any progress in going for what you really want is believing that you can. And so for anyone who's struggling with having the confidence to even articulate what you really want or to dream bigger and aim higher, today's episode is for you. And you'll also hear at the end how we're supporting women like you in holding yourself accountable and making these big audacious goals and dreams a reality with an action plan. So first, a little about Brittany. Brittany is an unapologetic educator, organizer, and writer. Her popular 2019 TED Talk on confidence has garnered nearly 3 million views worldwide. She's the author of a forthcoming book called We Are Like Those Who Dream... And she's the co-founder of Crooked Media's Pod Save the People, which has earned the team multiple Webby Awards for the best news podcast. Brittany has a laundry list of achievements on her bio, which you can read more about at BrittanyPacknet.com. But for now, let's jump right into our conversation. Brittany, thanks so much for being here on the Bossed Up Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. So I was so delighted to just rewatch your TED Talk from earlier last spring. And first of all, congratulations on the nearly 3 million views that that incredible talk has garnered thus far. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk to you today about courage and confidence and why confidence really matters, especially for women and people of color. I feel like there's been a lot of talk about confidence over the past few years around bridging the gender leadership gap and and solving other forms of inequity and injustice. But tell me, why do you feel like confidence matters so much? 
Well, you know, it's fascinating when the folks from TED called, a lot of people don't know kind of how it works behind the scenes, but when they invited me to be considered to do a talk, you have a conversation with one of their curators and kind of talk about your experiences, your thoughts, your ideas, your life and your work. And you, through the course of conversation, you narrow down what you want to talk about. Because the idea behind TED, of course, is that you're not giving the same stump speech that you give everywhere. Right. You're finding a new lane to speak to. And there are folks who know me from the protest world. There are folks who know me from the podcasting space. There are folks who know me from politics. There are folks who know me from activism. There are folks who know me from education. And literally all of those folks were a little bit confused that I chose confidence. (laughs) But I think once I gave the talk, folks understood it because I really wanted that talk to do two things. I wanted it to remind people that they always have the permission to be their most confident selves. And I wanted it to remind those of us who are in positions of power, whether that is social power, the power in our family structure, positional power at work, that it is our responsibility to curate and create environments where other people can find their confidence, that we have to think about both ends of this equation here um, and take our responsibility to be confident and to help other people be confident. And I just think it matters so much because, as I said in the talk, we are at a net collective loss when everyone is not operating at their most confident when we have folks that are not confident enough to give their best ideas, to to lead in their best ways, to be their best selves, we all lose out on that. There are solutions to the world's greatest challenges that could be locked up in the brain of someone who lacks the confidence to share their greatest ideas. And that would be a shame for all of us. So I genuinely think that allowing a crisis of confidence is all of our responsibility to fix. Right. I love how you speak to confidence as something of a catalytic force, right? You're saying, I think in in your talk, you said confidence is the spark that happens before action, before movement. I can't help but relate to this sort of revolutionary talk there because (laughs) I started my career off in the world of organizing with the Obama campaign a decade ago now and movement work, right? Social justice history, I feel like embodies so much of your work. Tell me a little bit about how you got involved in the movement and how that kind of philosophy informs your talk, your work, your forthcoming book, sort of what what you're focused on. I mean, it's, talk about somebody who, who a whole team of people who had to be very confident when the world was telling them it was impossible, right? I mean, right. I'm old enough and was engaged enough to remember Obama pre-Iowa in 2007 right. and 2008. So yes, yeah, so, I mean, you, you definitely know what we're talking about here. I was, I was raised by two change makers, folks who from very different spaces were creating real change and community empowerment and uh, space for self-determination for marginalized people in my hometown of St. Louis. So my mother's an educator and now an ordained minister. My father was also an educator and a pastor. Both of them were activists. I like to say that my my dad taught me the streets and my mom taught me the boardroom, but they taught me always to, to tell the truth no matter where I am. And so I feel like on my best days, I am a combination of the both of them and somebody who understands that it is both protest and policy that makes change in the world and trying to consistently navigate both of those spaces in ways that complement each other and not undermine the other. And so that that is really how I got started in organizing and activism and 
my philosophy really is based very deeply in my faith. And as a, as a Christian woman, for me, I was taught a liberation theology that does not rest in, I think, the kind of judgment that a lot of people are used to hearing from Christians, unfortunately, um, Christians who don't seem to have read the instruction manual very closely. So I am like, I am, I am politically very progressive. And I think some people are very surprised that that is deeply informed by my faith, but I was raised to worship like a Jesus who like flipped tables, right. And who didn't celebrate wealth and who didn't celebrate exclusion, but who talked about justice um, and talked about love and talked about um, a shared power that exists across all people, irrespective of their background. So that philosophy was very deeply ingrained very early on. And then the last thing I'll say, you know, like, especially as a woman, my watching my mother operate was has been really powerful my entire life. My dad passed at age 45. My mother was in her early 40s when she became a widow, mother, suddenly a single mother of two children. And I watched her over and over and over again defy the odds and defy other people's expectations of what she'd be able to accomplish given this new set of circumstances. And she's a highly educated woman, but I think my mother's favorite word is no, because that gives her (laughs) all the more gumption to go out and do it anyway. I love it. And so I just, I'm really grateful I didn't have to look very far for for strong women of color role models. It was my mom, it was her friends, it was her peers. It was the images and the people that my parents taught me about from a very young age, the figures of history that who, uh, names of folks that people don't know now, but I was raised on like Fannie Lou Hamer and Septima Clark and Claudette Colvin and Rosa Parks and all of those heroines. And so I'm really, really grateful to them for raising us very intentionally and for just being the kind of people who set really incredible examples. Your background a little bit reminds me of how difficult confidence can be to maintain in a world that is often explicitly, if not implicitly hostile towards your confidence. You speak on this a little bit in your TED Talk saying, for some, confidence is encouraged and praised. And for others in our society, confidence is penalized. How do you, you know, looking back at those strong women in your history and your mother and, and in yourself, how do you sustain that internal flame of confidence when the world tells you no, or when the world tells you to sit down and, and not right now, right? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is being able to see it for what it is. We have an archetype of leadership that we ascribe to, and therefore the people who fit that archetype are allowed to be confident. Most often those people are men, they are cisgender men, they are heterosexual men, they are white men, they are wealthy men, they are English-speaking men, they are, they are Judeo-Christian men, they are Western-born men, right? So often, if you fit that archetype, then you were allowed to not only be confident, but often be overconfident, right? And go out there and do things that everybody tells you are impossible, but people will keep funding you anyway. I mean, this is how we got the fire Festival, it's a joke, but it's not a joke, right? That right. there is an overabundance of confidence that we encourage in certain people so much so that they actually end up making really dumb choices and then are confused when things don't work out because people have been having their backs and continue to fund and support and encourage their ridiculous actions and beliefs anyway. And to be clear, Brittany, we're not encouraging that kind of confidence exactly. in anyone, right? Yeah. 
Exactly. Right. Exactly. So we're not encouraging that kind of overconfidence, that kind of zealousness that is ill-informed, right? What we're talking about is a confidence that is based in understanding and believing in one's own innate talent and gifts and the skills and experience that one has developed over time, right? And I think there are so many times when um, women, gender non-conforming people, people from marginalized backgrounds broadly will look at themselves and say, okay, well, I don't have this, or I don't have that. I don't have that degree, or I never held that job, or I've never directed a feature length film. I've only directed a short film, or I haven't graduated yet, or I'm too young. We look at all of our deficits first, because that is how society it taught us to operate, right? Instead of looking at all of the unique experiences that we bring, right? Well, no, I haven't directed a feature length film yet, but I have directed a short. And here's what I learned from that, right? Um, leading with those things that we know, leading with our strengths can help us to maintain confidence over time. So first we have to be able to see things for what they are, that actually somebody's inability to support confidence in me has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with how we have been trained as society, as a society to support confidence in some people and reject it in others. And so once I'm able to compartmentalize that and separate right. myself and not take that personally, I'm able right. to then say to myself, okay, well, what are my strengths? What are the unique skills, passions, talents, and experiences that I have that make me uniquely positioned to go and do well at this thing? And who am I bringing along to help me do it? Confidence is not about doing it yourself. Confidence is about being smart enough to lead with your strengths and then pull in other people who have strengths that complement your own. So Absolutely. as somebody who has managed teams before, I am convinced that the smartest leaders build other leaders. And that means creating and hiring and assembling a team that can do things that you can't so that together you're actually stronger. So you can build confidence, um, not only in your skills, but in the outcomes you all achieve together. I love that. And I want to dive into this concept of deriving confidence from your community in a moment. But I, I want to make sure our listeners really pick up on what you just said about parsing through biased feedback, because I talk about this a lot in my book with something I, I call mirror theory, which is this idea that sometimes you stand in front of people like you stand in front of mirrors and some mirrors make you look a lot better than others. Right. <laughs> and sometimes mm -hmm. they're downright funhouse mirrors that are reflecting back to you a very <laughs> warped version of who you yeah. actually are based on all these preconceived notions of traditional male archetypes of leadership or just unconscious bias or very conscious bias. And it is our job from what I'm hearing you say to really parse through that feedback and decide consciously when you're going to set aside other people's assessments of your ability to do something and say, no, <laughs> I'm going to have confidence anyway. Like despite yeah. what you are telling me, I'm going to consciously set that aside and say that is not for me to carry, right? That is more about you than it is about me. Absolutely. And I, I am a firm believer in not doing other people's work for them and then not carrying <laughs> other people's baggage. So I could not agree with you more. And there's so many times when I have to really ask myself, is the feedback you're giving me about me or is it about you? right? Because sometimes the feedback that we need to reject is actually not meant for us at all. It is someone else's projection of their own challenges onto us, right? And so some, sometimes that parsing has to do with us really thinking through 
what we know about the person, what we know they're going through. And listen, that's not inviting us to sit in a seat of judgment. We all project what we're going through on other people. It happens all the time. Totally. But it is to say, how am I creating a filter for myself that asks myself a couple of essential questions as I'm receiving the feedback, including how much of this is about me and how much of this is about you. Like I said, the TED Talk was really about dealing with both sides of the equation. We have to create a filter for ourselves about how we receive feedback, but we also have to be really careful about how we give feedback. We need to make sure that we're not projecting onto other people. We need to make sure that we're not asking other people to do our work or to carry our baggage, right? And I think it is easy to constantly say, well, there's somebody above me. There, I have a manager and it is always their responsibility to figure this out. But all of us exist in a position of power. It may be how you parent. It may be at your house of worship. It may be at work. It may be in your family structure, right? Your extended family. Maybe you are the child that is caring for your aging parents and you are figuring out their will and all of these kinds of things. Or maybe you just exert influence somewhere with your classmates or around the dinner table. Wherever you exert influence, you hold power. And those are folks that are looking to your word to both be true and to be helpful. And so it is our responsibility whenever we sit in a seat of power and we're not just receiving information, but giving information and feedback that we are doing so in a way that is true, that is helpful, and that is responsible so that people can do less filtering because we've already done some of the filtering. For yeah, them. that's a really great point. And as a reminder, right, power is not derived from authority. Power That's can right. be created in any position. So that idea of sort of shirking your power or shirking your responsibility and saying, well, that's not my, uh, that's mm -hmm. not my job. It's above my pay grade, right? Yeah. I've seen that happen. And it's just, it, it strikes me as so short-sighted. Mm-hmm for everybody, right? Because leadership is recognized, like making yourself invaluable wherever you are is inevitably a power building exercise. Absolutely. But it, it seems to come into conflict with something else I speak to often, which I'd be curious to hear your take on this, which is self care and self preservation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do you sort of mesh or, or reconcile this instilling in everyone, this confidence to go out there, to go big, to go, you know, to go to the next level. And especially as an activist to practice self-care in a way that sustains your ambition and sustains the movements that you're a part of. I saw someone say that true self-care is curating a life that you don't have to constantly escape from. And that was the most brilliant discovery for me. I subscribed to the philosophy of Audre Lorde here, where she said that caring for myself is not self-indulgence, that it is self-preservation and that is an act of political warfare. That folks like us, folks who are out making change in whatever industry we're making it in, who are meeting challenge and pushback when we do so, we are folks who were purpose and position to change the game, which means that caring for ourselves is literally us equipping ourselves to go and do the work that we were purposed to do, right? right? Work that is bigger than us. So we really don't have an excuse not to care for ourselves. It is malpractice not to care for ourselves. <laughs> but what that looks like for me is really trying to create the kind of balanced life that allows me to be at my best, which means not overextending myself. It means saying no to things that I genuinely don't think are going to make a difference 
hindrance or things that are going to, to tire me out more than I can replenish myself, right? I work from home really often. And so I like take a lot of, like I told you, I'm, I'm nesting right now because my husband and I just moved. Yeah. But congrats. that nesting is all about setting up space where I can work diligently, but comfortably, right? Because that helps me feel energized when I go out into the world and I talk to folks or I do the podcast or, you know, I speak or whatever, having that, having that time and space by myself gives me the energy to go out and do those things. Confidence isn't always necessarily about going big, right? It's actually about me being willing to say no to things that I know are going to overextend me and drain my energy and having the confidence to know that I can still accomplish my purpose, that I'm still an important person, that I don't need to have FOMO, that my work still matters just because I didn't go to every event, sit on every panel, say yes to everything that was asked of me. I think often, in those of us, as we, I think often when we emerge more fully into our past, we think that we have to say yes to everything because the opportunity will never present itself again. And we have to have confidence enough in ourselves to know whatever opportunities are for us, they will not pass us by, right? And so we need to be smart enough and balanced enough and, and disciplined enough to have some discernment about what to say yes to when. Maybe I'm saying yes to this, but I'm only saying yes to two hours and not five. Right. Maybe I'm saying yes to this, but I'm saying yes to it in, in March instead of December. And if you wanted me in December, then hopefully you'll still want me in March. And if you don't want me in March, then there's a different opportunity that's waiting for me. That is also an essential part of confidence and not being so grateful for opportunities that you actually end up overextending yourself because you think you're unworthy. Right, right. No, I think that's a really important part. I I often find this something I call really calm confidence to be what I'm always striving towards. You know, that that sensation of deep inner confidence that doesn't isn't derived from bravado or from like ego, but this intentionality behind where you're devoting your energy and time and effort, knowing and having, you know, confidence in your ability to come back to what's most important to you and to show up in the ways that you want to really show up. I want to ask you about community. It's a big part of what we do here at Bossed Up. We have a robust courage community, as we call it, online. And it's interesting. It sort of speaks to mirror theory as well. But you just you just mentioned that you and your brand new husband are moving. So congrats again yes, on the thank new you. nuptials. My question for you is related to marriage and community writ large. What is the relationship between being confident enough to take risks, to be daring, to be bold, to step outside of your comfort zone and having a community who's going to be there to pick you back up, whether you succeed wildly or fall on your face? <laughs> Listen, I like to say that I, I never lose. I only win or I learn, right? And there is a space that community allows for us to do both of those things. And a true community, true people who want the best for you are folks who cheer you on when you win and help you sift through the lessons when it's time to learn. And those folks don't pass judgment on you. They offer a level of generosity, uh, vulnerability from the lessons that they've learned and a willingness to share. But your community in those cases are the net that will catch you when you fall, right? And I think that so often, because we think confidence is about going out and doing it by ourselves, we forget that sometimes things don't work out the way that we want them to. Right. And when you go out and you do something alone and it doesn't work the way that you want it to, that feeling of perceived failure can be 
more lonely than it has to be, right? But if you start out on your project or your new idea or whatever it is, um, and you share that with the folks who are that net for you and allow them to be partners, supporters, accountability buddies. If you allow them that access into your life, then they can be there to help you pick up the pieces and reassemble it if that's what it calls for. They can also be there to help you ce- celebrate if you win and help you step back and say, okay, how did I win? Right? Because that's also a lesson. How do I keep doing the things that I know are successful this time and continue to improve upon them? them. There are too many times when we are ashamed of our failures. And so we don't invite other people in. But the fact of the matter is those lessons that we have to learn, there are people that want to hold us up in the midst of doing that. And there are people who need the benefit of seeing us learn those lessons so that they can go and do something differently the next time. Right. It's interesting. You know, in this, in this social media age, we, we show people the best version of ourselves, right? Like we will take 50 selfies and we will post the 50th and never show the other 49. <laughs> and, and that is the kind of snapshot that we keep giving people throughout life. And then we tell folks, go out there and be confident. <laughs> Look at my story. I did it. You can do it too. Well, if you haven't actually told me your story, I don't have any reason to be confident because of that, right? If you just show me the finished product and not the process, not the long nights, not the sleepless nights, not the confusion, not the starting over, not the community that you built and how you built it, not the advice you had to take, not the advice you had to reject. If you didn't show me the process, it's much harder for me to build confidence in myself because I'm supposedly feeling like I just have to wake up and suddenly have it all together because that's what appeared to be true for you. It's not true for any of us. And I think we benefit We benefit the community when we are vulnerable enough to say, I need you to hold me up and here's why. So hopefully you can learn this lesson too. I was looking for it just now on your social media platforms. I'm like, where is it that you have publicly started your bio? And it's here on Twitter with learning in public, (laughs) which I think that's the, the framework that you just articulated, right? Like I am here, I'm showing up, I am vulnerable enough to have confidence in my ability to move forward, to have a voice, to make that voice heard. And I'm making it pretty darn clear that I'm not gonna get it right all the time. And that's okay. Like we're here together figuring this stuff out. A hundred percent. I love that attitude. I wanna see more of that in the social justice cancel culture. You know what I mean? Because sometimes I think the learning process is uh, is glossed over. But one person who I've I've spoken to on the podcast or I've spoken about on the podcast quite a bit who does this well is Francesca Ramsey uh-huh. um, book about becoming an accidental activist yeah. is all about sort of the evolutionary process of being willing to make your voice heard and get things not right a hundred percent of the time and move forward anyway. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask about the vulnerability involved here because yeah. in our programs at Boston bootcamp and it's, you know, it's New Year's resolution season. So even just articulating some of your wildest ambitions for your <laughs> life, for your career is such a excruciatingly vulnerable experience for folks. It can be really hard to make a safe and brave space where people can articulate those, those dreams to a community at all. What advice might you have for having confidence in your ability to articulate a really bold dream, a big vision without quite knowing how you're going to make it happen. 
I think that the first thing really is to take your time. I spent, I would say the better part of 2018 and by better part, I mean a good nine or 10 months, just really trying to get clear on my purpose. So I was talking to friends. I was praying about it. I was writing down my reflections. I was also taking my time to be really observant. So when I would go out and, you know, I, I spent part of that time in 2018 as a, um, a, a resident fellow at Harvard's Institute of Politics. And I spent time really asking people and, and really observing what folks were responding to, right? I was like trying to give myself my own audience feedback, if you will, throughout time, right? So I'm saying, okay, this is working, this is not working. And I'm also asking myself, when do I really feel like I did my job? Like, what are the days when I go home and I look in the mirror and I say, job well done, Brittany, you did what you were supposed to do today. And I realized it was moments when people were saying to me, you tweeted or wrote or spoke or said this thing that really made me think. And it's been making me think for the last three months or when they would say to me, you know, I keep trying to explain this thing to someone that I care about because I really want them to get it. And you helped give me the language to do it. Or when they say to me, you know, I saw you being your full self and now I feel like I can be a little bit more of my full self too. When people are more equipped to go and do their work because they have had an experience with me, that is what I figured out is what makes me feel like I've done my job. And so over months and months and months through listening and through frankly, silence, right? And like being willing to be with my own thoughts and not be afraid of them. <laughs> I figured out that my purpose really is to speak and teach truth that moves people to action, right? That there are folks who want to be truth tellers, that there are folks who want to speak truth to power. I want to speak truth to whomever needs to hear it. And I want that truth to actually move them towards something else, to move them to have the conversation with the coworker, the manager, the family member that they wouldn't have before, to go, somebody came and told me that they went back to school because of something that I said, right? Like those are the kinds of, of those are the kinds of things that are a win for me when other people are more equipped and they go and take that new equipment and do something positive with it, do something that is world changing with it. But that took me almost a year to figure out. And I didn't have the perfect words to articulate it for a long time. And I'm still getting there and trying to explain to people because if you ask me, okay, well, what does that mean? I'd still be giving <laughs> you a laundry list, right? I'm yeah. still figuring it out. I don't have a 30 second elevator pitch to tell you exactly what that is. And, and the good news is, speaking of community, I'm building community with folks who have expertise in how I could go build that out. So there, you know, we're sitting together and looking at all the different ways that could look, what I can build on my own to go and be able to do that, what I can build with other people to go and be able to do that, right? Some of it I fell into with our podcast, Pod Save the People. How are we continuing to expand that community, right? So there are so many, there are so many ways in which we can be really, really afraid to share exactly what that vision is because we're too concerned with perfect being the enemy of good. And we just can't let that happen, right? I know that if it is meant for me to do, right, if it is my purpose, then whether or not I have the perfect words to explain it, isn't the point, right? As long as I'm clear about what it is, then, then it is worth saying out loud. It is worth pursuing. But it is all. But we also have to recognize that the second we let it out of our mouths, we have a responsibility, and that shouldn't scare us. That should just help us remember that as we learn the lessons, it is always our responsibility to go and enact them. So, like you said, in this cancel culture, we gloss over the learning part. 
but you can't be learning the same lesson forever. That is not fair to the people who are waiting on you to go and live out your purpose, who will benefit from the work that you have to do. So yeah, learn the lesson, you know, share the mistake, share the lesson with other people, and then have people hold you accountable to being better at that the next time. Um, and I, I always tell people, you know, I, my grace will meet you where your responsibility begins. So yes, I can understand that you're on the journey. Yes, I can understand that you're learning. Yes, I can understand that none of us are going to get it right all the time. Just show me that you're actively trying to do better at this thing that you just figured out. Yeah, that's a really good way of approaching it. I love that. I just want to remind folks listening during this season of, you know, New Year's resolutions craze. It is about putting in the time, like you just articulated, Brittany, of spending nearly a year focused on purpose and vision and clarifying and experimenting and testing what lights you up. A lot of the women listening to this podcast are here because we are searching for the kind of career that will sustain us, that will motivate us, that will magnify the impact that we want to have. And it takes a good amount of continuous, concentrated, focused effort on figuring that out, sometimes in a very quiet way that doesn't look like you're slaying a to-do list, right? It, it, it's more about inner reflection often and getting really clear on where you want to point your, point your compass for the rest of the year, the year ahead of us, and really figuring out then how to wind yourself up to get off to the races. But you got to figure out the direction first, and that just takes time and reflection and being in tune with what matters most to you. Brittany, this has been such an inspiring conversation. I know we're just about out of time, but I don't want to wrap this up before we talk a little bit about your forthcoming book. We are like those who dream, which sounds like an incredible anthology. Tell us about this book and what inspired you to write it. I have been curating speeches from Black women throughout history for the last five or six years, uh, especially as this movement has really taken hold. And those have been speeches that have given me hope. They've given me wisdom. They've really sustained my ability to continue to do the work. And I think especially right now, that is wisdom and hope that everyone needs. So I decided to take some of those speeches, put them together with some personal essays and put them into a book. So it'll be out uh, fall 2020. Amazing. Congratulations. Brittany, I am excited to watch your continued meteoric rise. Oh, thank you. We are cheering you on here at Bossed Up. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the work you do. To learn more about Brittany and catch up with her incredible work, head to BrittanyPacknet.com. And you know, Brittany and I started to talk a little bit about the power of accountability buddies in our conversation there. And I wanted to invite you to join our accountability community this year with the Bossed Up Life Tracker Planner. You've heard me talk a little bit about the Life Tracker Planner already and how it helps you break down your big goals into actionable steps that you can then prioritize every single week and month to help you really focus on what is most important to you. But I want you to know that the planner itself, while it's a great tool, it also comes with a thorough accountability program that goes with it. This month, we kickstart the new year with three live masterclasses that help you make the most of your planner and really break down the psychology behind it. And we have accountability calls hosted live 
on video chat every single quarter. So if you want to join in on that, we just have a few copies of the Life Tracker Planner left, but you can get yours now while supplies last at bossedup.org. And now it's time for this week's Boss Move of the Week. This week, I want to give a shout out to a longtime supporter of the Bossed Up community, Christina Pascucci. So Christina is based in Boston. She's a bootcamp alum from, I think, 2014. And she has just been a huge support to me and to Bossed Up. And I would be remiss if I didn't give her a proper shout out for the huge leap of faith she made in the last few months to launch her own feminist bookstore. It's called All She Wrote Books, and it's a new and used pop-up bookstore that features female, queer, and non-binary authors from all genres. I want to say congratulations to you, Christina, on this huge achievement and the beautiful bookstore that you have launched. We are so proud of you and so excited for you. And for anyone who wants to support this initiative, who's got a book on their must-buy list, who wants to see more about Christina's bookstore, and especially those of you in the Boston area, head to allshewrotebooks.com. And congrats, Christina, on this total boss move. All right, y'all, that's all I got for you today. I'm dying to hear what you thought of my interview with Brittany Packnett Cunningham today. I'd love to hear more about what you want to see more of on the podcast in the new year. You can always hit me up on social media at Emily Aries or at Boss.org. And as I've said before, your reviews in Apple Podcasts make a huge difference. I listen to every one of them. I read every one of them. And it really helps not only me and, and Kirby decide where we want to take the show next, but also helps other people discover the podcast and add it to their library. So thanks to everyone who's taken a moment to review us in Apple Podcasts. It really makes a difference. All right, y'all. Until next time, keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose. And together, let's lift as we climb. 